Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 23 of Pigskins and Nylon. Wally Lukashinsky, and today is Monday, September 20th. Actually, I mean, it'll be out Monday, September 20th. It's actually right after the 4 o'clock games on Sunday. And what a Saturday it was for Big Ten football. Followed it up with a great Sunday. It's the best time of year. But I'm joined once again, as always, by my buddies Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. The whiteout lived up to the expectations once again. Michigan State went to Miami and beat up on the Canes. Minnesota dominated Colorado. And Ohio State struggled a little bit. I really don't know where to begin. So I'm going to ask, first of all, Hayden, how about you? How'd your team fare Friday? And what was the most impressive performance in the Big Ten this week? Two-part question for you there. I talked about our game on Friday, about how, you know, early in the week I thought we had a really good chance to win. We all we, we, we just had to play hard. It wasn't easy, but we, we got our first, first W. We were on the left side of the column for the first time. A little overtime thriller, I guess. Our kids took a lot of punches, but but really fought back, and it was it was really great. A nice little defensive stand there in overtime to to finish the game off, which was really nice. So really happy for them. We're we're looking forward to this upcoming week. We play Arlington. They're a pretty decent decent team. So we got our we got our work cut out for us, but we're heading in the right direction, I guess. As far as best performance, geez, that's that's a, that's a tough question there, Wally, because. I think the most natural response is going to be Penn State, but I was really impressed with Michigan State on Saturday. The way they, you know, played Miami, and I'm not quite sure what to think of them, but going on the road and winning that game the way they did uh, was really impressive to me. How about you, Casey? First of all, congrats on the win on Friday there, Hayden. Good for your kids to finally get one. Hopefully they can keep those coming. But Casey, how'd your team fare Friday? And your second part to that question, what was the most impressive Big Ten performance to you this weekend? Team did all right on Friday. Started off pretty slow. I believe it was 6-6 to at halftime. But then we got rolling again in the second half. Ended up winning 30-14. to Got another winnable game this week. And then next week really is the big game in our conference. Most impressive Big Ten team. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to roll with Michigan State as well. I, I said in our preview podcast this week that it was the ultimate prove-it-to-me game for Michigan State. And, I mean, they did everything you could ask. They ran the ball well. Peyton Thorne did a good job managing the game. So, overall, I would say that Michigan State was the most impressive team in the Big Ten over the weekend. But I also want to throw in there that Sean Clifford, outside of that interception that he threw, my goodness, was he good. But we'll get into that here in a little bit, I'm sure. Well, congratulations to both of you guys. Love hearing both of you getting wins on Friday. Followed that up with a great Saturday. And yeah, Michigan State, without a doubt, was extremely impressive to go on the road. And realistically, once they had that strip stack in the fourth quarter, it was all Michigan State. It was done. It was a really competitive game for three quarters. You could probably even say they were outclassed a little bit just from a, a, a talent perspective early on. But the fact that they were able to overcome and, and grit and fight through that very impressive win. The one team, though, I do want to point out, and it was kind of a really close game. I think they were two and a half point underdogs, believe it or not. But Minnesota going to Boulder and winning 30 to nothing and giving up less than 75 yards of total offense. I understand that Colorado's offense is an abomination, 
But to still do that on the road against a Power 5 team, that is impressive. So I, I am excited for Minnesota to get off. Honestly, a really tough first couple weeks. You lose Muhammad Ibrahim, and then you have a really difficult time finishing out Miami of Ohio. Thought that was a great win. Well, we are going to jump right into our recaps now. And I think the best way to go, we do like every time, we're going to go in order. Maryland on Friday night went to Illinois. This was just such a disappointing collapse for Illinois. They're up 17 to 10, with like five, six minutes left. Have a third and one and a half, I'd say, at like the 40 of Maryland. Get stuffed and then punt. And then from that moment on, it was all Maryland. Maryland wins the game 20-17 after Illinois tried to score with like two minutes left. It didn't work. These, it's like we've been saying for a while. Illinois, they're finally showing you those little glimpses, the little bits that you can tell. say, hey, Brett Beal was changing the culture a little bit, but they did fall short. When you watch this, or at least got to see the second half, I know you guys had your games a little bit there earlier in the game. Did you have any major takeaways other than the fact that Maryland, little sloppy on the road, Illinois, just got to pay your dues. It's going to be a rough year. Maryland was just a little sloppy. They had eight penalties, two turnovers that game, but they did exactly what I thought they would do. Talia Tunga-Viola passed for 350 yards. I thought that they would pass all over Illinois, and they did. They just didn't execute very well on third down and obviously didn't turn the yardage into touchdowns. So I think the game was actually a lot closer than what like the score was actually a lot closer than what the game was. Maryland outgained Illinois by over a hundred or by 150 yards on offense. So I mean good for Illinois for hanging in there, but other than that, yeah, I mean I don't see too much positivity to come out of it for Illinois. We thought Brandon Peters coming back might be a spark, but he was way under 50% passing it and through an interception as well. I didn't get to watch the game, but I feel like we kind of know what Illinois is. And I think they are trending maybe in the right direction, but it's going to, you got to give, you got to get some time. It's going to, it's going to be a while. I'm looking at Illinois's upcoming opponents here right now and it's not necessarily going to get easier anytime soon uh they're at purdue next week and then they're at home against a charlotte team who just beat duke a couple weeks ago so i mean it's not like they're going to be a slouch but then then it gets real tough you have wisconsin then you're at penn state a little four game stretch could get ugly here for the illini yeah it's Going to take time. So be patient if you are out there, Illini fans. Brandon Peters doesn't exactly have a ton of people to throw to right now either. I really like Isaiah Williams. A lot of you might remember he switched from quarterback last year. But he only had two grabs for 47 yards. If you take him away, there's not a ton out there for Brandon Peters to even get to. You can't really say that for Talia Tagovailoa, though. I mean, he has two guys right now between Rakeem Jarrett, who that's the household name, but I feel like a lot of people, myself included, going into this year, didn't know a ton about Dante Demas and how good he was going to look. He's led that team each week, not Raheem Jarrett. This week he had, what, eight catches, 77 yards. He's been his go-to guy. Whenever he needs a receiver, he's had someone to go to. And all of a sudden, this Maryland team, they can score a lot of points. I know they really didn't do it this week, but this is a little bit of a tricky game. It's, it's a, an opponent you expect to beat on a Friday night just kind of has a weird feel to it. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass. We'll see next week. Hopefully they can respond a little bit better. But all in all, if you're an Illini fan, be patient. It's going to take time. But the team that Illinois beat in week one, 
that we've been very low on, or at least most of us have. Casey picked him this week. Nebraska went to Norman. Oklahoma wins 23-16. to But, dude, Nebraska played really well in this game. If they have a few things go their way, like Connor Culp, oh, the poor kid. He's made only one of his last six field goal attempts. He's even missed, what, I, I want to say two extra points a few games ago as well. He's had a really tough year. If a few of those kicks go another direction, we might have a very different conversation on our hands right now. Poor kid, one for three field goals, and then they got that extra point blocked as well. And I really feel like the momentum shifted back to Oklahoma after that blocked extra point return for two points. I was thoroughly impressed with Nebraska, though. While I did take them, I didn't think it the game would be that close. Martinez played all right. I, I mean, yeah, I, I would just think that that's kind of the Nebraska that we expected Scott Frost to have and put on the field going into year four now. Imagine if, and I know we talked about the kicker, imagine if, if a couple things, if he made a couple of those kicks and the extra point doesn't get blocked or returned for the two points, how different this game is. I mean, we could be talking about Nebraska winning and all of a sudden it's like a revival of Scott Frost and his life at Nebraska. But I guess it was really encouraging the way they played. I think Casey said it in our in our group text during the game that they they never quit. Like they were they were down throughout the game, but they kept fighting the whole time. And I think that's something that we've been waiting for Nebraska to do. Not only this season, but the past couple seasons, and that hasn't happened yet. And maybe something's finally clicked for them to where it will for the rest of the season. And I will say this too: Nebraska's defense, the black shirts, they look significantly better. To hold a team like Oklahoma to 23 points, I know they gave up a lot of yards, but you got a little bit of that mean streak in this defense that we have not seen in Nebraska since even they were in the Big 12. I am excited that Scott Frost has a little momentum now. People like us will probably be a little bit like less fast to just say, hey, is this the week he gets fired? I think he's earned himself the rest of the year now. And there's a, a very common, I, I felt like, theme if you look online and you look at the message boards in Nebraska, you look at Nebraska Twitter, and one thing you saw over and over again on Saturday was this is the most fun we've had watching a Nebraska team in a long time. Just to have a little bit of hope and a little bit of belief that things are going to get better under Scott Frost now, it goes a long way. And I think that trickles into the locker room as well. To have a team that truly believes that everything isn't going to go wrong, that matters. When you have that culture of winning or culture of losing, that permeates onto the field. In close games, if you are used to losing, you seem to find ways to lose. If you're used to winning, that's when those big players step up and win. This is kind of one of those moments that's big for the culture. I hope for Nebraska, they can continue with this. But at the very least, a very impressive performance on them and a very good call by Casey having them on plus 22 and a half on Saturday. Just had a lucky feeling. Bastard. Yeah, lucky bastard is right. And you did have a feeling. And I'll give you that. You were very, you were on point. You called it very well, so we'll give you the credit there. But now Cincinnati, number eight Cincinnati, went to a packed Bloomington to face Indiana. And it was really cool, first of all, to point out that Indiana having a packed house, having that excitement around their their team with that fan base, I hope we see more of it because that is something we don't really get to see a lot out of them. And even if they, they did fall short on Saturday, they looked like the better team for much of this day. And that you really don't, doesn't reflect that in the score in 34 or 24. The big key turning point in the game for me, 
is Indiana does all the things right to have a good response, take the lead in the third quarter, just to kick it away and see Cincinnati return to kickoff. It felt like that was the moment that things I feel like kind of fell out of control a little bit for them. But what was your guys' thoughts on this? Are you worried about Penix Jr. still? He's under 50% again, throws three more picks. Or was this more of a, he's played Iowa, he's played an Idaho team you don't really expect nothing from, and then you play a very good Cincinnati defense. What do you make of this team? Watching the game, I thought Indiana was a better team for really throughout the first three quarters. But man, I I can't get over Michael Penix Jr.'s performance. Way under 50%. Three interceptions. They had four turnovers on the day. We can credit Cincinnati and Iowa all, all we want, but ultimately, you know, this isn't something that we really saw out of him last year throwing this many interceptions. Completion percentage-wise, kind of similar, but like I mentioned in our season preview show, he's really got to take a big step, and he just hasn't done it yet, and, you know, that's why Indiana's one and two. He has to be better for this Indiana team to be successful, and I don't know if he's just not 100%, if he's not all the way back to, you know, his form of last year, or if he's nervous about maybe getting injured again or something like that. I, I don't know, but this is not the same guy that we saw running for the pylon against Penn State to win the game. I mean, it's not even close. And looking at Indiana's rushing stats, too, we talked about Stephen Carr before the season, and then we even talked in our, in our group text. We, we talk about a lot in the group text. In our group text about how hard he runs the ball and how we think that can really help him. Even him, he, 21 carries for 52 yards, that's not going to cut it. That's two and a half yards a pop. And I know Cincinnati's defense is, is good, and that's where they're going to hang their hat. But they got to be better. And if that's all they're getting on the ground, and Michael Penix doesn't, isn't putting up numbers like he was last year, this could be a really long year for them. Something that I want to point out before we go to the next game too, though, is that we have talked a lot since we started this podcast about how Ty Freifogel is an outstanding wide receiver, and he's always kind of been his deep threat that Penix has really enjoyed. But we don't see Filer there this year, and all of a sudden he was more of that intermediate third and seven kind of target that he would look for. Without him, they really haven't had a guy step into that role. Freifogel is that traditional deep threat, and I think that without that intermediate short guy that you can look for underneath, we're going to see a lot more of this from Penix this year until someone wants to emerge. But, I mean, that's a tough loss. I mean, it obviously happens for everybody. But Indiana's not at that position yet to just immediately reload. And that's where this year I think you're going to see a little bit of growing pains in a team that did lose a couple key contributors. Well oh, said. You're the man, Hayden. I appreciate that. But Michigan State, we mentioned at the top of the show. They traveled down to Hard Rock to Miami and win by three scores. It wasn't quite like a three-score beatdown by any stretch. Miami looked good in the first half. I almost got a little worried that they had so much talent, they might be the team to eventually win by two or three scores. But credit to this Michigan State team, credit to Mel Tucker. They didn't go away. They're so well-coached. They seem so disciplined. And that again, that strip sack at the start of the fourth quarter, from that moment on, it was all Michigan State, and that's a team that didn't win games last year. So the fact that they're able to go on the road to a solid Miami team and be able to not only get the win, but to win a close game like that, 
I think it's something that Michigan State fans have been clamoring for for a long time, and they have to be some kind of excited, no? I might go as far to say that Michigan State might be the most well-rounded team right now in the Big Ten, especially offensively. Peyton Thorne is really taking big strides at quarterback, and then Kenneth Walker the third. My goodness, what a transfer get that was for Mel Tucker. You know, running all over all defenses. I'm pretty sure he's either one or two. I think he's one for the NCAA rushing leaders. So, I mean, great performance, like I mentioned before. I think it was the best performance by any Big Ten team of the weekend. I know we aren't really that high on Miami, but anytime you can get, go on the road against a ACC or Power 5 opponent like Miami um, and get a win like this, it's big time. I love Misa Mel Tucker. I, I like what he's doing. You know, he has his team playing hard, and Kenneth Walker is going to be a problem this year in the Big Ten, it seems like. This dude is a stud. I'm not sure where he transferred from, but I don't know why that school would let him out. He's been putting up huge numbers. And Peyton Thorne, and we weren't, you know, super high on him. We didn't really know that much about him, I guess. He's not blowing the doors off anybody, but he's doing exactly what this style of team needs. He's above 50% completion. He's not turning the ball over, and he's making the necessary plays when when they have scoring opportunities. Defensively, this Michigan State team, Miami didn't rush for anything. I mean, they were abysmal on the ground. Derek King had to throw it 59 times in this game. 59 times. They had 52 yards on the ground. I'm not quite there with Casey that this is the most well-rounded team right now. I I, I think Penn State could is up there. But this team looks good, and there's a chance that they could – really compete with some of the big boys and and get back to where Michigan State was in the past. I don't know. I guess there's some kind of connotation with well-rounded. It makes it sound like you're saying better, even though I don't think that's what you mean. But like, I agree. I feel like they're the most balanced team in the Big Ten at the very least, where you have a guy like Peyton Thorne that he's not going to go out and necessarily wow you all the time, but he's very responsible with the ball. He can make a big throw when you need him to. And then Kenneth Walker, for the record, he transferred in from Wake Forest. He's been unbelievable, and I feel like he's almost taking that, what we said preseason about Mohamed Ibrahim being the guy that is going to emerge on a national stage in the Big Ten that nobody really knew about. He's that guy right now. And going back to what you even said before, Casey, and this is a great way to segue into our next game, there are four players in college football right now, in NCAA, FBS football, that have over 400 yards rushing. Two of the four of them are Big Ten players. Number one, obviously, we mentioned Kenneth Walker to third. But then number three, about 90 yards behind the guy for the Michigan Wolverines, Blake Corum. And let's go right into the Michigan Wolverines now. This game wasn't even fun from the word go for the Huskies. We, I think all of us had Huskies minus, or maybe Hayden, you might have had Michigan to cover. Not so fast. Not so fast. You're right. Okay, so you had them to cover. Congratulations there. This was a game that even at halftime, the 27 and a half points, it might as well have been 100. They're up 63 to 3 going into the fourth quarter. They threw a little bit better. It's not like they they let the world on fire, but it was a positive step, I felt like, for Cade McNamara. And check me out. You see that? You see that pronunciation by me? Very nice. I appreciate you. But, dude, this team, I, I won't say too much about it, but the running game, 
it's probably the most dominant rush attack right now in college football that we've seen. I get the teams we've seen them play haven't exactly been amazing, but all you can do is play who's on your schedule. And this Michigan Wolverine rush attack right now, they're a problem. I agree with that too, Wally. I think Blake Corum is very versatile, very good. Obviously the quickest of the bunch. Haskins is more of the pound guy, but he's he's been known to break a few. To expand on your point in the passing game, McNamara did look fine. The deep ball to Cornelius Johnson for 87-yard touchdown. I believe I texted right in that group chat. I was like, they, they need to really expand their passing game for this two minute, and the next play they throw an 87-yard touchdown. But 8 of 11 looks good. He did miss a, a Cornelius Johnson on a deep ball early on in the game as well. I mean, overall... I mean, there isn't really much to take away from this game. I, I was impressed with Michigan. I did not think they would be a, a team to put up 50 points. I don't care if it's Northern Illinois or not this season at all. Their defense looked good outside of two drives, really. And I don't know if you guys are watching the game at the time still, but uh, Rocky Lombardi, he, he busts a run for like 45 yards late in the fourth quarter when his team was down 63-3. to And he was like, taunting the fans or something like that and I, Twitter was kind of having it it was kind of funny but not really too much to take away from this Michigan game really the next two weeks are, are big big games for the Wolverines well said Casey I'm not going to go too much into this because it was just a complete and utter shellacking one thing I am going to comment on because I am still pissed about it Michigan is up seven to nothing and you know the games Michigan was the way better team It wasn't going to change anything. But Northern Illinois had fourth and one. They go the length of the field, fourth and one, at the three-yard line. And they opt to kick a field goal. And I had never been more pissed in my entire life about a game that I did not care about. How how can you be a four-touchdown underdog, drive the length of the field, get to the three-yard line, and kick a field goal on fourth and run? Run the damn ball. It's, they that's points. unbelievable. They thought they were going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 28-point underdog, neither the points. Give me an effing break. That is ridiculous, and that coach should be ashamed. Well, we even saw it, too, later in the Ohio State game. Tulsa goes down the field on their opening drive. Another Ex- Same point, exactly. Exactly. They're, what, 24-and-a-half-point dogs, and they kick a field goal on fourth and one, fourth and two as well. It makes you wonder a little bit about that aggression, and uh, I guess – the thought, are you going to win? I don't know. That's an interesting point, a good way to look at it. But again, Michigan looks fantastic right now. Going into this year, I really didn't know a lot to make of them. Casey and I were a little higher on them. We thought they could be an eight or a nine win team. But this is probably the most complete Michigan team we've seen in three or four, maybe five years back, 16, 17 range. I'd be excited right now. I, this rush attack special, if the passing game can even match it a little bit, I do think that this team can at least play with anybody right now in the country, or at least deserve to be on the football field, except for Alabama. But Alabama doesn't count. They're basically like that hybrid between pro and we, we'll get into them later another day. But Mid- are we are we seeing real quick? Are we seeing a revival kind of of the Big Ten East right before our eyes? Michigan seems like they're on a roll. Michigan State's you know seems like they're putting stuff together. Penn State just beat a an, an SEC team at home. And, and of course, you still have Ohio beat State Wisconsin and, too, and beat Wisconsin earlier year. Ohio State, while they seem to be struggling a little bit, you know that the talent's there, and and hopefully for my sake that they figure it out, or else I'm gonna be dead by the end of the year. 
But there are four quality teams right now in the Big Ten East. We haven't seen really for a couple of years just because of, you know, Michigan last year was down. Michigan State's been down for a few. And Penn State's been good. But it, it, now we have four quality teams. I, I think we're seeing the revival happen right before our eyes. Well, I mean, you could even make a case for the West too, though. I mean, the Big Ten in general, this is about as exciting as you can be in a while. I mean, we're going to go into the next game now. I'll even we'll come back to Purdue in a bit when we talk about them. But you're even seeing teams like Purdue, Minnesota. There at least looks like there's growth and improvement. We'll go into Minnesota now. They win thirty to nothing. I kind of talked about it at the beginning, being my most impressive team yesterday. They beat Colorado in a game that thirty really doesn't even do it justice. They dominated this game throughout. Colorado had sixty three total yards, and that includes negative nineteen, negative nineteen rushing. That's a minus one nine. That's crazy. Trayson Potts following that very, very big offensive line, doing great again. Minnesota, they're not going to go out and be anything super special, but for where they are, for what they are in the Big Ten West, this was a very impressive win and one that I feel like P.J. Fleck might be able to take a little bit of momentum out of and hopefully build on what now all of a sudden looks like, again, might be a salvageable season. Uh, Well said, Wally. Obviously, I wasn't very high on Minnesota. I thought the Ibrahim injury would really affect them. But now, man, looking at their schedule, too, they have a very favorable schedule. I mean, really throughout throughout the year, they have Wisconsin at home. They do have to go on the road at Iowa. But these next one, two, three, four, five, six games, we might be looking at a at an 8-1 Minnesota team rolling into that Iowa game. Overall, very impressive. I still think they have work to do. Though, you know, Tanner Morgan, very similar to Michigan. Tanner Morgan didn't really do anything spectacular. 11-17, 164 yards. So you'd really like to see that element of their offense develop a little bit better. But, hey, man, you know, power five win on the road, 30 to nothing. Can't really complain. Yeah, you talk about another rushing attack that I'm not going to say they're not missed, you know, didn't miss a beat, but they're still putting up real real good numbers on the ground. Trayson Potts, who took over the – uh, running back job for Minnesota after Ibrahim's injury, 121 yards, three touchdowns, a little over four and a half yards a pop. Pretty good. And I know I took Colorado in this game, and I was obviously dead wrong. I watched Colorado play Texas A&M, and I knew their offense was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. It is absolutely abysmal. That stat for team rushing at negative 19 is unbelievable. Now, I will say that that is lumped in with quarterback sacks, I think. So negative 27 of those was from sacks. But still, that only puts you at eight. (laughs) That only puts you at eight rushing yards without sacks, which is just horrible. It is horrible. And that Minnesota team, too, from the, the word go, you jump up early and you basically get to play a position battle or a field position battle because you know your defense is going to be basically unchallenged. All day. I mean, this was a Colorado team that struggled to put up points. They only threw for like 100 yards against Northern Colorado in their opener. We'll see. Maybe this is a game that at the end of the year of Colorado is like 2-10. and 10. We're like, I don't know. Maybe we were got a little too excited about this. But for what it was, you go on the road to a Pac-12 foe. This is a big win. And good for P.J. Fleck and good for those Minnesota Golden Gophers. But Purdue, the Boilermakers go to South Bend. They had the big drum there, albeit it was outside the stadium. The biggest takeaway in this game, 
They lose by 14, but David Bell, he takes a nasty hit in the third or fourth quarter, late third, early fourth, and he, it was scary. Uh, He was kind of struggling on the ground, wasn't really moving, heavy breathing. It was hard to watch. I think it was a clean play. I know a lot of people were, were lobbying that should be targeting. I disagree with that, but this is good news here is that Purdue last night did tweet out David Bell is up walking around with his teammates after receiving evaluation by team medical personnel. So that's about as good as we ever could have hoped for coming out of yesterday. Hopefully it was just a lot scarier looking. Outside of the injury, this was a Purdue team that was in a position in the third quarter again, even in the fourth quarter, to potentially tie the game. Didn't do it. Notre Dame takes care of business, credit to them, score a couple touchdowns in the fourth to make the game look not as close as it really was. Purdue, I mean, we came into this year talking about Brahms' job. They've been about as good as you could have hoped three weeks into the season. What did you make of this Purdue team? Was this a Notre Dame team, I guess, that we probably were a little too high on? Or is perhaps Purdue on the right track and things are starting to click? I think a little bit of both. I really thought that Purdue controlled the game for the most part and really was just as equal as Notre Dame throughout the entire game. But man, big plays really killed the Boilermakers. Three touchdowns of over 39-yard touchdown, 62-yard touchdown, 51-yard touchdown. That's difficult to swallow. I thought Plummer played pretty well. Did he get injured too? Because this O'Connell came in and threw two picks. I wasn't paying that much attention to it aren't they running a two quarterback system well i thought they were rotating quarterbacks well if they are they need to stop because o'connell came in and threw two picks when Plummer was you know had a good completion percentage and threw a touchdown and no interception so i don't know i guess i need to do some research on that to answer your question going back to last week when they played purdue you're looking at a team that used three quarterbacks at points they had only Plummer had 20 passes. He was clearly the number one, but O'Connell comes in. He was nine of 11. And then Burton, I don't even know the guy's first name, Austin Burton, he was five of five. So, I mean, this is a team that's been using at least a couple quarterbacks. And then even in the first week, oh, I guess actually in the first week, Plummer only played. So, I don't know if there was an injury. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, going into this week. We'll do more research on, on that before their upcoming game. But even if they are doing two quarterbacks, I'm with you, Casey. That's got to stop. That doesn't work anymore. I had Notre Dame minus eight. That's all I have to say about this game, and it worked out for me, so. Same. Yeah, this was one of my few losses on the weekend, fellas, so I did not have that. But uh, let's go into a game that we will take probably two seconds on. I'm not even going to lie to you. I have yet to watch this game. I know that you're not supposed to do that, not supposed to say that on podcasts and stuff, but Rutgers hosted Delaware. Game was never in question. It's an FCS team. Rutgers wins 45-13. to this is a game I don't feel like you learn much. If you play a, a little kid and pick up basketball out in your driveway, you're not working necessarily on things that you're going to use, or at least you're not improving that much. This is kind of a game I throw out the window, and I'm just ready for Rutgers to play next week. Do you guys disagree at all, or is this a game to you that, cool, they won, took care of business, glorified scrimmage, let's move on? Yep, really not anything to take away from this game. Other than, you know, Rutgers played a relatively clean game. No turnovers, only two penalties. Good win, I guess. Let's see what they can do next week. Hayden's giving us a thumbs up right now, so we're going to move on. Tulsa going to Ohio State. Well, I actually struggled in this game for quite a bit. Defense still looks like 
It's got a bit of issues. One benefit, though, is that you can't say is it looks like they went a little bit more of that bend-don't-break kind of style, try to keep things more in front of you. Ultimately, they did hold this Tulsa team to 20 points. I mean, this isn't the Tulsa team that we're used to, though, where they go 9-3 and three and go to a bowl game against a big, what, 6-6 six and six Power 5 team and win. This isn't necessarily a very good Tulsa team, so to see Ohio State struggle like this on both sides of the ball at times, especially through the air on offense, you got to see Ohio State fans are really worried. Worried, I think, as much as we've seen since that Dwayne Haskins 2018 year. Casey, what did you make of this performance? Are you trying to look at the positives coming off of that loss? Or is this a game where you're just sitting there and all of a sudden it's, man, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were? Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at the positives of this game, I can only find two, really. And one is Travion Henderson. And then two is their rushing defense looked better, although at times gave up a couple chunks of yards at bad timing. But now you got to wonder what the heck's going on with the secondary. They gave up 428 yards to a quarterback that, I mean, we did not expect that coming into the game. But just like the Purdue game, I thought both teams really played very equal. The, the stats show it. They both Tulsa had 25 first downs, so Ohio State's 24. 501 total yards for a Tulsa, 508 for um, Ohio State. I mean, this game was very, very evenly matched. It felt like both teams had two turnovers. Tulsa's obviously were a little bit more costly. This literally was a one-score one game with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. I did not expect that. My I, I predicted Ohio State would put up 63 points. I was obviously wrong. And three games into the year, I don't necessarily think it's time to press the panic button. But there are a lot of concerns with this team. There are, and I'm not going to, again, you just mentioned a panic button. You're seeing a lot of people go into the, and even Hayden sent me a, a tweet earlier from, I want to say, the pronunciation might be wrong, but for Cleveland.com, Doug Lamarez, Lamarez, does anybody know how to say that one? Les Maurice. Les Maurice, there you go. He was talking about how he believes now that we should start seeing basically a two-quarterback system until we can figure out who the quarterback is. I don't agree. I still am going to be a little bit more patient right now. I don't feel like Stroud's being or has played as poorly as people are trying to make him out to. He's left balls high. He hasn't been as sharp as we've seen, but or as we've seen from other Ohio State quarterbacks, but that's not a fair bar that we're putting these kids at. And what do you think the next freshman quarterback you throw in? He's not going to step in and be Justin Fields. And everybody thinks that's just how this is going to happen. I'm going to be patient. With C.J. Stroud, I'm going to keep going and saying that. Chill out. I mean, you had key plays in this game where, like, Chris Olave dropped the ball late in the first half. That could have helped put Ohio State up 11 points. And if you're up 17-6 at half, who knows what the, what changes in the second half. I'm not giving up on Stroud. I'm not going to panic yet. If we see this again and we're in the middle of October, then I'll start saying, hey, maybe we do have to look at something here. But this isn't, at the moment, a team that should even be worried about the playoffs. This is a team that should be worried about the next game and only the next game. Because right now, if they play the way they have in the last couple weeks, they're not going to beat several Big Ten teams, let alone win the entire Big Ten. Hayden, what was your thoughts on this game? I have a lot of thoughts. And I guess I could talk about it for probably an hour if you guys let me. I haven't watched it all the way through yet because I had to work on Saturday. And I haven't had time to sit down and, and re-watch it. But I watched... A majority of it I was watching it on my phone as I was at work. I'm with Wally. I'm not ready to push the panic button on the offense yet. 
I was very happy with the the run game. And obviously, Travion had an amazing game. Close to the record behind Sermon, and I think it was Eddie George was the other one. So that's that's really encouraging. One thing that is shocking, I guess, is, and you guys probably already talked about this, Olave didn't even have a catch. And I know he was targeted multiple times, and, you know, he had that one drop. And Stroud did overthrow him. He had a, he had a walk-in touchdown if he laid it out in front of him. But to not have one catch is a little crazy. I think I'm to the point where if I'm Ohio State and I have Chris Olave and it's it's getting into the even maybe the middle to end of the second quarter, I'm gonna do what these NFL teams do and just I'm gonna I'm gonna let him stand there. I'm gonna flip it out to him and just get him get him a touch, get him a feel for the game. I feel like a lot of NFL teams do that with these big receivers who maybe haven't quite got going yet in the game. I think I'm to the point where he's one of their best weapons and he needs to touch the ball. Defensively is where I think there's a lot of, obviously, confusion and different things going on. They had a new play caller. I'm sure you guys talked about that. One thing, and I know you noticed it from the very first snap of the game, they were doing things differently with their safeties than what they did the first two weeks. They were rotating them either on the snap or, or just before, just pre-snap, which is good. I think they need to use that movement, and they have the guys that can do that. I liked how they were mixing coverages. They played a lot more zone. They played a lot of zone coverage yesterday. Now, to play zone coverage, you have to have a pass rush. And I would it was better than against Oregon, but Tulsa's offensive line obviously isn't Oregon. So it's hard to judge kind of where they're at. Uh, they need to get better. They brought a lot of pressure, which I think was good. I like doing that. But when you bring pressure, you have to get home. And it didn't seem like they were. In the secondary, I am actually taking the approach, and maybe a lot of people have the complete opposite opinion. I don't think their secondary is bad. I, I think they're they're playing young guys, which they're going to make mistakes. But I think some of these guys are showing they can play. I think Denzel Burke can play. Cam Martinez had a great, <laughs> while he just pointed, Denzel Burke's our guy. He should have had a pick. I don't know what the refs are looking at. That was a pick. I've never seen anything like that. Cam Martinez stepped in and, you know, hasn't really played at all. He played a little bit the other day or last week, I think, against Oregon, maybe a little. But he stepped in and I thought he played very well. They had Ryan Watts in there at safety for a couple plays. I mean, they're they're still mixing their guys. I think they're still trying to find out. And I think everybody's like, oh, we get a new play caller. It's going to be magically fixed, you know, just like that, fixed. And that it's that's not the case. It's it's going to take some time, and I, I think they took a they took a baby step, a baby step in the right direction, just because of the different things they were doing. I think that's going to pay off for them as they get more experience and more game time, especially with their young guys. It's, I mean, you can't replace game experience for younger guys. No, I don't have too much more to add. That was well said. And the secondary, these young guys playing well, if you're looking for something positive to really help you get through these difficult days with the defense, secondary is young and the secondary looks solid. We can figure Denzel out. Denzel Burke is going to be a star. Like He's going to be very good next year. And I hope it's next year. If not, it's the year after. And he's going to be very, very good. I also thought Cam Brown played pretty well too. I know he's had a nagging injury. For you know, obviously from last year in the Penn State game when he tore his Achilles, and 
he's back from that, but I think he's had a couple more nagging things. I thought he played pretty well defensively too. So if they can generate a little bit of a pass rush, and I texted Wally, I said, our linebackers look clueless, and they do. They look bad. I I think Cody Simon shows flashes, and I I think you just got to roll with the mistakes that he's going to make because I think he's the most athletic linebacker they have. And, you know, he's young, he's going to make mistakes, but I think you got to roll with that guy on the field. I know we're in a bit of a time crunch, so we'll move along, but the only other player you mentioned, the linebackers, Paulier Nauteote. You saw a couple solid plays on Saturday. A lot of times he did look lost, and I think you could say that for most of the linebackers, but those are the kind of things you have to hope that as the season goes on, he's going to continue to progress and feel more comfortable in that little system, especially now that it's kind of changing a little bit here on the fly. But let's talk real quick about Casey's Iowa Hawkeyes. Not the prettiest matchup, so to speak, against Kent State. Win that game 30-7. to Offense, again, not exactly lighting the world on fire. But my God, this defense is so much fun to watch. They are not what the old Iowa defenses are. Yeah, they are giving up like low or fewer amount of points. But this defense has speed. It has size. It's angry. It's a mean team. And they're going to keep them in games for almost anybody else. I thought Iowa did exactly what they were, what they needed to do. I thought Petrus actually kind of got on a little roll there for a little bit. Something that we really haven't seen out of him yet this year. But, I mean, Tyler Goodson ran the ball really well again. Not really that much to take away from this game, to be honest with you. But I'm going to take off, guys. I got I got to go eat and a couple things to do before I get to bed. Really excited for our preview show on Wednesday night. And looking forward to another big, big 10 weekend. You're the man, Casey. We appreciate it. Sorry, again, people don't know at home. We usually do this on Sunday morning. I don't know if I didn't have an alarm or I didn't set an alarm, but I slept through when we were supposed to record. So we're recording at night. So thank you for even doing this. We appreciate it. We'll see you again later this week. Hayden, let's go to you now. What is your thoughts on this Iowa game? Do you find anything that you're taking away? Or is this kind of, again, uh, it's a Kent State team that's not necessarily anything special, so we didn't really learn anything? The one thing I learned is that we had our first push of the year, I think. So that's that's pretty – hey, a push is better than a loss. So we'll take a push all day, every day. You take a push, it's kind of like a win. Yeah, no, I not not really much to take away from this. Peters had nice I, game, I guess. I don't know, uh, 25 or 36. His QBR was only 55, which is kind of surprising with above 50% completion and a touchdown. But, you know, they ran the ball like you would expect Iowa to against an overmatched overmatched team. One thing that, you know, keeps trending in the right way for for Iowa, I, I think that defense is legit, and I think they're going to be solid all year long. They only forced one turnover, I think, against Kent State. But we've seen in the previous, in our small sample size of the game against Indiana where they had a ton of turnovers and, and big plays and even opportunities to score. So I think that, that bodes well for them. Really will keep them in any game, even if the offense struggles. They will, for sure. I mean, this is a team yesterday that, with the exception of, I think it's Keyshawn Abram for Kent State, Nobody could do a damn thing against this Iowa Hawkeyes defense. I mean, Keyshawn Abram had like 138 yards and a touchdown, broke a couple ones there. But outside of that, I mean, this Iowa defense, they're just well-coached. They're, fa- they're sound. They're flying to the football. 
And even in a game that's 30-7 to against Kent State, they're one of those defenses that are so focused and so competitive, even at the very end of the game, they're flying around as if this is a freaking Big Ten title game. That's just the way this team looks. Very excited about them, which is ironic because we're going to stay in the Big Ten West to talk about the Northwestern Wildcats. And boy, are they not good. They're a bad football team this year. We thought that Michigan State lost. We were like, all right, maybe Michigan State's better than we thought. They That might have been a little bit fluky because they fell behind early. But then last week, I, can't, I think it was Indiana State, I want to say they played. Only won like 24 to 6. And then now, they fall behind 27 to nothing at Duke the other day. Credit to them. I'll give them a little credit. They come out in the second half because they pulled their starting quarterback. And as soon as they come out and they throw in their backup here, Andrew Marty, this team at least got back in the game. For a moment, I truly talked myself into believing they were going to come back and win. They cut it all the way to the final score, obviously, 30-23, to and just couldn't really get over that last hump. I think Hunter Johnson's probably done. Perhaps that was the move that needed to happen so that we can see a Northwestern team that is able to really take another step and really improve this year. But I don't know. I just feel like this team, is it's not what we're accustomed to, at least in the last 10 years. This Northwestern team doesn't even really feel bowl eligible-ish. No, and I mentioned earlier how, how Duke lost a game at Charlotte. And Duke's not not a good team. And I feel bad for, for Pat Fitzgerald because everybody who's listened to our podcast knows that we have like the ultimate respect for that guy. I think some of us even ranked him as our best coach in the Big Ten. I mean, that's how good we think he is. But his team just doesn't have it this year, and I think it's going to be a very long year for them moving forward throughout the conference, unfortunately. No, I, I don't have much more to say. I, I'm with you there. It's it's ugly, and I hope for Fitzgerald's sake that he's able to at least salvage the season, maybe get a couple wins they shouldn't later in the year, and who knows, maybe this Andrew Marty kid he might have something that can really elevate this team to get back to six, seven wins or so. But our last game, and you know what game we're talking about, Auburn goes to Happy Valley to see Penn State and the whiteout. Hell of a game. We'll talk about an awesome whiteout game to see. I really thought for a while there we were going to see Auburn not only cover, but I really thought they were going to win. Casey mentioned before he left that Sean Clifford outside the one throw, I mean, Dude was outstanding, 28 of 32, 280 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. I mean, Penn State's for real. I didn't want to believe it. I guess I didn't actually believe it. I picked Auburn to win outright in this game. Man, not a lot I have to say other than that. This Penn State team looks like, outside of, again, Alabama, they look like they belong in the football field with anyone. And if they get a Sean Clifford performance like they did yesterday, they can beat a lot of teams. Even that pick that Clifford threw was like right before halftime. I was listening to on the radio. Like they were trying to make something happen to get a couple points before halftime. And I think they took a deep shot and it got picked off. So like no harm, no foul really uh, in the long run. He played, he played really great. One thing, and I know they're playing a, you know, a pretty decent team in Auburn. One thing is they did not run the ball successfully at all. And Look, we we talked about Sean Clifford. If he took that step forward, how that could be a game changer for them. It looks like maybe he has, but they still have to be able to run the ball. I don't think you can rely on Sean Clifford to throw it 35, 40 times a game consistently for them to beat the top-level teams in the conference. 
In fact, that could be almost a recipe for disaster if they can't in one of these games. But yeah, I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with, with Penn State. They played well. The crowd, I'll never get over the whiteout, man. That That's outstanding. And it's something I, I, I wish as an Ohio State fan that Ohio, that Ohio State could, I mean, not really replicate a whiteout, but, you know, had the atmosphere that some of these college places have. And, you know, all credit to Penn State. They played well. They got above 500 in the whiteout. I know people were giving them some crap about that. A 500 record in the biggest game of the year at home. But, no, they, they look for real. You're right. They already have two. They, I mean, they have the most impressive two wins in college football, like they have to, winning at Wisconsin and then against the SEC team at home. So, yeah, I, I'm i looking forward. They have Iowa on the road in a couple weeks, and that should be that should be a hell of a game. So, yeah, they're for real. Uh, thank God Ohio State has them at home. We talked a lot about that Iowa-Wisconsin matchup later in the year. All of a sudden, this Penn State-Iowa matchup, it could realistically be the game of the regular season year for the Big Ten. And that's just going to be a lot of fun to see. Two teams that I don't necessarily think that a lot of people, myself included, had the highest expectations for either of them. And to have them both probably be top 10 teams, that's going to be a college game day situation again. That's awesome. But to what your concerns were, and I think they're valid, Noah Kane hasn't really run the ball all that well this year. Ironically, the game that he ran the ball best was against Wisconsin. He had only eight rushes, though. He had 48 yards. That's a six-yard uh, per carry average. Beyond that, last week, I, I can't remember. Top, man. I know that you've talked about it, Hayden. I want to say he had 69 yards on either high teens or low 20s carries. They have not run the ball well, and at some point, that's going to be a bit of an issue, especially when you run into a team like Iowa. Right now, you look at that kind of a game, it feels like it's almost going to be a very similar one that we saw in Wisconsin-Penn State, the 16-10-ish low-scoring game. You're going to have to hope that your offense doesn't make mistakes and that your defense can be stingy in the red zone. It should be fun, though, but this Penn State team, man, credit to them. You mentioned how incredible the whiteout is. Not only Ohio State, but plenty of teams have tried to replicate it even. I mean, you've seen with Ohio State with the blackout and stuff like that. It's cool. I like it. It's not the same. What Happy Valley has done with the whiteout, it really is one of a kind. You don't see it anywhere else in the world when it comes to sports. I mean, it's the reason why we all voted it the best atmosphere in college football before the season, and I completely agree. And them not being over 500, it's easy to make jokes about that until you look at the fact they're freaking playing Ohio State every other year in the whiteout. And Ohio State's been a top 10 team almost every single time. So it's not exactly like they're going up against Michigan State and down years and stuff like that. So good for Penn State. But otherwise, if do you have anything else you want to say about any of these games? Otherwise, I'm going to wrap it up. Are we doing final thoughts at the end? Because I, ha- I have some final thoughts. I got to get them off my chest. Well, then perfect. That's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back later this week to preview the upcoming Week 4 slate and talk more Big Ten football. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter, at Pod. Facebook at P and N pod and Instagram also at P and N pod. Hayden, what's your final thought for us today, man? Yeah, I have, I have a couple final thoughts and I'm going to start with the, the negative one because I want to finish on a positive note. Ohio state should be ashamed of themselves with what they're doing with ticket prices. They're basically pricing out a huge section 
of the fan base that they can't even go to a game, an out-of-conference game against Tulsa. I mean, that's unbelievable. They had, what, 77,000 people? And it was, like, the lowest since 71, I want to say? Yeah, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. They have to get that fixed. They cannot have only 70% capacity in their stadium. That's absolutely ridiculous. I also think they need to do some things to kind of revitalize the game day atmosphere at Ohio State. You look at these other places, the Swamp, you look at Penn State, you look at Madison up in Wisconsin, these places get going and their fans are fantastic. I don't know. I know Ohio State's doing things where like you can't, you have to be so far away from the stadium to tailgate and things like that. And I'm sure they have good intentions, maybe of safety or something like that. But things have to change. They need to get their game day set up much better because it's, quite frankly, it's embarrassing to watch. Looking at a stadium with only 70,000 people in it is a joke. So I, ha- I had to get that off my chest because I've been, I've been holding it in all weekend and it's pissed me off all weekend. The positive thing that I do want to end on here is about the NFL. And I was talking to Wally about this before. The NFL brings it. Every single week, like every single week, the NFL is fantastic. And I'm lucky enough. I have Wally's NFL ticket on my TV so I can literally watch any game. And it's amazing. I'm flipping back, back and forth between my bucks and other games. You know, the Seattle, Tennessee game this week was unbelievable. The Cardinals Vikings game, the car or the Vikings missed a 30 yard field goal to win the game. The NFL brings it every week and having Gus Johnson in the booth for NFL games is fantastic that guy is second to none he's a legend already and he's only like 50 like that dude can do it for 25 more years that dude is is fantastic to listen to a game to so it's great that that fox has him back in the booth for these nfl games gus johnson is a walking electric factory he is impossible not to like and the people that do like them you just want to shake them like why do you hate fun so much sorry that the guy clearly loves the sport and clearly loves his job You can't help but love Gus Johnson, but I have to sadly talk about, it was like you were in my brain, Hayden. So our final thoughts are very similar here, but going to talk about the Ohio State stuff for one second. I mean, there's a reason why Ohio State fans are as hated as they are. We're a passionate bunch. We are very proud of our school. We're very proud to be Buckeyes and to see that only 77,000 people are able to go because they've priced out so many fans. There's a ton of rabid fans that would kill to be at these game days. And you're right. The game day experience used to be so much better. And you're right. It probably is a safety concern or they're trying to do something helpful and it just hasn't worked. But dude, they got to do something because man, Ohio State used to be one of the best environments to watch a game in the country. And now, I mean, when we were even there five, 10 years ago, before you priced it out, and with the the night games, because we don't have night games unless you're playing Akron now because you have to play at noon on Fox. That was so different. And I just really hope we do get back to that. And I hope, because we do have a new-ish president and I want to say she's in her second year. I hope that she does see there is going to be an outpouring of not necessarily complaints, but concerns in saying, hey, we got to fix this up. If we turn on the TV on Saturday and you're looking at 30,000 empty seats for Ohio Stadium, for a team that's top 10 in the country, I don't care what they've looked like, coming off a playoff performance, there are deep-rooted issues with the ticketing options. 
But that's all I'll say about that. Last positive thing, like you, I'll go negative then positive. The Las Vegas Raiders are 2-0, went to Pittsburgh today, got the win, looked pretty good doing it. Derek Carr, 382 yards, two touchdowns. I'm in love. Henry Ruggs finally showed up. I'm going to get myself hurt because at some point I'm going to buy in, and that's the kiss of death. Last year I buy in, I go and then watch the Atlanta Falcons beat them like 38-6 to when they're a terrible football team, and then everything goes to hell. I'm worried it's going to happen again, but for right now, Hayden, our teams are 2-0. 2-0, and baby! Exactly, and we're on top of the world. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, no, I think I'm good. I feel better. I got that off. I feel much better. I got it off my chest. Gene Smith should hear it. I know he listens. So get on it. Yeah, and I mean, that's a guy, too, that's going to potentially be running the new whatever fake NCAA that might end up happening. There's going to be people wanting him. He's just very good at his job, so I hope that he figures it out. I have the faith that he will. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back here, what, Thursday probably, for episode 24 of Pigskins and Nylon. 